You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Show, and we are so happy to have here in the studio with us the one, the only <laughs> Abbott Massey. Abbott, how are you? And good morning, Martha. Good it's morning. It's a pleasure and an honor to be on with you on your award winning radio show. And KN and Lewis and Camille said hello and Merry Christmas. Well, to you, thank so you we very much. You. Well, I look forward to. Um, to seeing them again, and it is always so wonderful to be with you. Abbott and I are Rotarians together, and you know it's on my bucket list to have Abbott introduce me one day. So we'll have <laughs> to get him to do that one day. <laughs> anyway, thank you. So listen, big things going on at the University of Georgia. Tell us about the Massey-Ivester Scholarship. Thank you, Martha, and that was a pleasant and, and a very nice surprise for me when I learned of it at the dedication of the new Poultry Science Building on the University of Georgia campus, and by the way, we're proud of it. It's a a, a new great four-story building that'll be important to the poultry industry of Georgia, and it's a a good milestone for the University of Georgia and the Georgia Poultry Federation. But the personal highlight for me that day was learning of the Ivester Scholarship, and that was a very nice and generous thing for Doug and Kay and their foundation. You know, and it's it's so not it's really so great to see Mr. Ivester um uh coming back into this community. I mean, he never really left. I mean, but he's he's here more, he's doing more and he has really been a great member of this community uh for his entire life. He really has. It's it's unbelievable. In fact, he he and Kay have set a a, a new record, a new high for philanthropy and support of Gainesville and Hall County. That's uh you know, some people who make the big time, as Doug obviously did, did a great job as president. Of really big time. Really big time. Good service around I, the world. Some people forget their roots, but but he did not. He did not. I'll tell you a funny Doug Ivester story, and then we'll get back to the scholarship. So um, it was a sad time in their life when Kay Ann's dad was in the hospital over at Lanier Park. And um, at the time, in the doctor's lounge, they had Pepsi products. And so they were allowing <laughs> Doug and Kay Ann to wait in the in the doctor's lounge. So they made a quick switch to Coca-Cola. Before he got there. It's a good thing they did. (laughs) Somebody made a good move. Uh, Jerry Fulks. You remember him? Oh, yeah, Jerry. Jerry Fulks saw that, and he says, "Uh, we need to make a change here. (laughs) Just just in time. But, you know, they've been great with their generosity and support for education in Hall County and and their development on the square. So tell us about this scholarship. Who is it going to help? It it will be available to uh, students and graduates of high schools in Hall County, Gainesville Hall County system in Lakeview, and uh, and residents of Hall County. And the it, it, it be more information online. The University of Georgia College of Agricultural and Environmental Sites uh, website, and uh, applications will be taken up until March the first. And, and Martha, as you may know, we also have an excellent poultry program at uh, the University of North Georgia on the Hall County c- campus. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, look, the whole agriculture side and 
if if I can say this, agriculture technology, because agriculture's changed a lot, right? In the last in 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 your time there, yeah. pol- the poultry business, but also agriculture in general. And I know that in my work mm. with the State Board of Education, we are working very hard to create career paths on the high school level so that young people know what kind of careers there are in agriculture and they can get some basis for it before they even get out of high school. And the poultry industry offers great opportunities. You know how large it is, of course, and it's the largest segment of agriculture and agribusiness in Georgia. Georgia is the number one poultry state in the nation. At the present, I think the employment in poultry and allied industries is close to 170,000. It's important in this area and throughout the state. And we need new personnel in the industry. Some of us like to say that one word describes a UGA poultry graduate employed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they, Absolutely. They jobs, four or five or six job offers waiting for any graduate. So, and they are, you know, the poultry industry encompasses so many areas uh, uh, production and processing and further processing and all the allied industries, and they need people in the accounting and marketing and nutrition genetics so no matter what your main interest is there probably is a place for you somewhere in the poultry industry so we are very excited that the Ivis has established this scholarship and it's called the abbott massey scholarship it's to honor your many years in the poultry industry so i gotta know how did you get into the poultry industry well by accident uh, in, in talking about Rotary, and I enjoy seeing you at Gainesville Rotary, which is good for, 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 for this area. But I was director of the State Commerce Department, which is now Economic Development, and was speaking to the Gainesville Rotary Club, which at that time was meeting in, in the, the Dixie Hunt Hotel, now Hunt Tower. And when I left, I walked across the square to where I had parked, and saw W.L. Norton, Jr., who I'd known through families and through his state service. And we talked about that and various things. And then he said, by the way, I'm the attorney for the Georgia Poultry Federation. By the way. <laughs> and, we, and we're looking for a staff member. Do you have any suggestion? And I gave him the names of four or five people in nonprofit work. And then uh, Kay and I were engaged then in talking about where to live. And I took a about eight or ten steps and half joking i just hollered back and said wl add my name to your list and the committee came to the capitol the next week and, and offered me the job wow and i told Kay Ann what i was thinking about doing and she she laughed and said whatever you want to do but remember we don't know a chicken from a duck <laughs> <laughs> So it was a great opportunity. So I accepted that job and uh, have enjoyed it very much all through the years. And it, still happy to be working full-time for the Poultry Federation, but we're glad to have Mike Giles, who is our president now and has been for several years. So I mean, you are really one of the amazing people that I know. I mean, you just had your 96th birthday. I know you don't like to talk about your age, but since you have the same birthday as my husband, and he's a little, I feel like I can do it. But you are just, I mean, you know, it's it's luck, it's health, it's a lot of different things, you know, that, that gets you to this point where you're just as 
active today probably as you were 30 years ago. But you've seen so much, and you can tell those stories. And I think that's what draw Drew, Doug Ivester, I don't want to speak for him, but what drew him to wanting to do this honor because you immersed yourself. And I heard you do it with my boss, Bill Main, where he was talking about things. He goes, well, let me help you. You're a connector. You're a networker. <laughs> And you're a person that knows how to bring people together. And it's good to meet people. And an example is when I knew and saw W.L. Norton, you know, which led me to this great job. But uh, let me say, since you slipped my age in, that uh, my my smart and beautiful child bride keeps 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 me young. That's so, right. So That's I, absolutely. I, I myself. And, and she's a lot younger than he is. <laughs> <laughs> So I've had some nice opportunities. And, yeah, and, and I know, remember, it was a long time ago, you know, because I am I love your, I love Lewis. Lewis and I are very good old friends. Yeah, and, he thinks the world of you. And, um, I was asking him one time, you know, how old you were. And he goes, he doesn't like to talk about that. And so I, I made a guess, and he did a thumbs up like it was higher than what my <laughs> guess was. And so, you know, I only found out actually what your age was last year. But that's okay, because you should be proud of it. It's a great opportunity because there's a resilience. And I think that's also what the Ivester Foundation found. The way people go get forward is by going forward. I'm sure you've had bad things happen to you in your life. I'm sure you've had things that were setbacks in your life. Everybody does. But you have to get up, put one foot in front of the other, and figure out how you're going to make it work. You have to keep going. And, that's right. And, and be involved. Be, be, be active. So you're like the mayor of Lanier Village now, right? <laughs> we, we love living there. K- That's right. KN, uh, my Minson member wife drug me out there. But I want to say I wish I'd have gone sooner. We love it. It's a it's a great place. So Yeah, absolutely. So tell us what has changed the most about the poultry industry since you got into it. Well, there have been dramatic uh, changes in, uh, oh, let's see, in the, in the early 1960s. About ninety percent of the chicken was sold as as whole birds. In fact, I say sometimes to people that your 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 grandmother or somebody in your family may have raised a, a chickens, and 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 your mother or somebody in your family may have have bought live chickens at the store or whole chickens at the store, and and now they're up to three thousand different poultry products. There's a wide variety of products. So per caps. Capital consumption has increased dramatically, so that now less than ten percent of the sales are whole birds, and it wouldn't be me close to ten if not for rotisserie chicken. So that's one of many changes. Uh, yeah, my I can remember lots of conversations my mother would have with butchers about how to cut the chicken. Do you know what I mean? So like exactly right. she would go in and buy it whole, and she actually would you know either cut it at home. Or sometimes she would have the butcher cut it, but she had very uh, important instructions about how to do it because people knew how to do that. I wouldn't. My husband knows how to. He cuts the turkeys. He cuts the chickens. We still buy whole birds and smoke them, that kind of thing. And he knows how to do that. He's like a surgeon, right? He can do that. But a lot of people don't know how to do that. That's exactly right. And the other development, of course, is in is in automation and technology, the Im- improvement in, in poultry houses and in poultry processing plants and innovation by companies and, and assistance from uh, research programs at the University of Georgia and, 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 and Georgia Tech. So the, the, those improvements continue to be made. 
So, you know, we had Mike Shannon speak to us at the Rotary Club, who's the right. new president of UNG. And I think that these, these kinds of scholarships that are d- more directed, I think, are very important because since COVID, enrollment's down, even though at the big flagship universities, you're not really mm-hmm. seeing that. But uh, enrollment is down, and we've got to get more people into these fields that they can get jobs in. And that's really an education process. In fact, I mentioned my work with the State Board of Education, but we have some of these career paths that we're going to be introducing in elementary school so that even you know before you get to high school, you will have had some exposure to certain kinds of careers so you can decide whether you want to take these paths that are going to help you get into things. So I think that's really important. You know, my son does uh, poultry research for the USDA, and he was a cell biology guy and got into the poultry side of it uh, at the University of Georgia after college and after graduate school and loved the agriculture side of the research. So I think that he'll be doing that the rest of his life. I mean, that's exciting. And I'm glad you mentioned those education opportunities that are being made available to people so they can learn and see that. Absolutely, the, absolutely. The options that are available. And, and Martha, we've sent some information to the school systems, and we'll send more so any student in the, game, in the whole county uh, can talk to their counselor or somebody at their school in January and information will be available. Or they could call the Georgia Poultry Federation office or look on the websites of, of CAS, CAES, and I'm glad that's you right. mentioned it's like, that. That's right. I have to, like, okay, I have to think in my head, what is CAES? That's right. They look at that or the Poultry Science Department, and, and information will be available. We hope there will be a number of applications from Absolutely. all Absolutely. I think there will be. So we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of the rest of the time we have catching up, of course, um, Abbott Massey uh, is an icon in this community. His son, Lewis, and his daughter, Camille, are just great folks. <laughs> and and Chandler Massey, you may have seen in his fourth Hallmark movie <laughs> this Christmas season. And it is just, you know, he is just one of these guys that had this very successful career, but also seems to have found how to mix his life in with it. Exactly Does that right. make sense? Exactly. I'm proud yeah. of all of my family, but I'm glad yes. you mentioned Chandler because his latest movie is Mystic Christmas. Yes, yes. And he's still doing his job doing analytical work in addition to the, to the acting in the movies. But uh, needless to say, we love to see him on the screen. And Chandler came up and watched with Kay Ann and me for the premiere. It was fun to have him with us. It was a good movie, uh, and it was sort of a, a play on a, a very famous movie from the 90s called Mystic Pizza, which was a little bit of a play on that. But the story was, of course, all Hallmark Christmas movie, which is great. And he had his fourth one, I think, um, was it Next Stop Christmas or something was the one last, last year? Last Christmas it was. That's Next right. Christmas, so, Back to the Future thing. So. Yes. So he's done a terrific job on that. I, I've gotten to meet uh, your other grandchildren or Lewis's other children. I haven't met Camille's kids yet, but um, I got to meet them at, through different things at the Bulldog 100 and a couple of other things. I got to meet them. In fact, I sent Lewis a picture of me with with his his daughter and saying, "Look who I found." So it was like it was always good. What did we do before we took pictures of everything? Right? It'd be great to have those cell phones with so we can make pictures anytime, anywhere. So, so you have been through. Probably, when you think about the changes in your lifetime, I mean, you met President Kennedy, correct? I did. You met President Kennedy. 
you have been through so many things. You've probably met more than President Kennedy, other presidents, too. What's the biggest takeaway of this very wonderful long life that you've had? Well, just to be able to be involved in, uh, you know, work with people like you and many others. My my parents were both very active, and I was one of six children. My siblings were, so, you know, I learned early on the importance of, of being involved and of helping other people and assisting people when you can. So it, it just kind of came naturally. Now, I'm sure somewhere along the way someone tried to get you to run for office, right? They, they did. So how did you deal with that? Well, I thought about it, but uh, and uh, and did serve brief- briefly. We were talking about Decatur and DeKalb County. Uh, you and I have never talked about. I I was uh, appointed and then reelected as a county prosecutor in DeKalb County many years ago. Many years and, ago, <laughs> and and was encouraged to 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 run for office, including for lieutenant governor at one time. But uh, but I. Did not have that interest, enjoyed what I was doing otherwise. But you know, and I did run for office, and it. You know, I'm really thankful now that I didn't win, even though I thought I would have been the best choice. Because you shouldn't run if you don't think you're the best choice, right? Well, you, well, you did a great job, and you led, and you led in the thank primary. You. I remember thank that you. very thank well. You. Thank <laughs> you. Um, but I tell you, what's so interesting about it is what I learned from that is one. My husband had cancer a couple of times after. I ran, and I was thankful that I was able to be there for him. That's really kind of what the most important thing is. But I learned that my gift is really putting people together, that I'm better at getting other people elected. I'm better at at helping people find someone. I'm kind of like you that way, that if someone comes to me and says, hey, I need somebody in this area, I may not know them, but I can find them. And I love that, and I think that's kind of what made it work for me. Well, and you've been good for this area in the state, and your radio program and your TV appearances, and uh, we we appreciate all the many things well, you do, Martha. I so. thank you very much for that. You're very kind. So I want to remind people again, the University of Georgia Agriculture and Environmental Sciences, you can go to their website in January, and you can apply for the Abbott Massey Ivester Foundation Scholarship. It's for folks in Hall County, so you ought to go on and apply. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Joining me right now is Jack Werfel. Uh, he is a 91-year-old Holocaust survivor. He has written a book called My Two Lives. And, sir, we welcome you to the program. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. It's so wonderful to have you here with us. So, uh, tell us first of all a little bit about your early life and and where your life started. Well, my life started on June the fifteenth, nineteen thirty-two, and I was born in Dresden, Germany. Although at the time, I really my family lived in Austria, right outside of Vienna, but. Um, when my wife was uh, pregnant to have me, she went home to her mother, and her mother lived in Dresden. And it's obviously it's been almost eighty years since World War Two ended. This, why do you think this imp- book is important right now? My two lives. Well, I really didn't know why it should be particularly important until uh, just recently. 
since the war broke out in Israel. Uh, I tell you, two and a half years ago, my daughter and my son-in-law came to me. We own an insurance company. And they said, uh, Jack, we need you to write a book about your experiences and your life, and especially the period during the Nazi time, which was my first book, <laughs> my first life. So um, my daughter really wanted it for her family so that they would always know the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and so on, that they would always know where our family came from, who we are, when did we come to the United States, how did we get into business, and so on. So it's it's so interesting because you were born in 1932, so it would have you would have been about seven when Hitler started taking over countries in in right in Europe, and you were in Germany at that time. So what happened to you, and how did your life change during that time? Yeah, well, actually, I was in Austria at the okay. time. Okay, okay. But just before, just before Hitler marched into Austria, uh, my father uh, wanted to make sure that my brother and I would leave Austria and be safe somewhere else. My father worked for the government with President Schuschnigg at the time, and uh, he sent us to Berlin, where my grandparents lived. And uh, so this was at that time, at the time of the Anschluss, that we moved to uh, Berlin, Germany. And they thought that would be safer. But did it turn out At to be time. safe? Did they? T- did it turn out to be safer? Yes, for a while. For a while, not very long, but for a while, yes, yeah. So, were so tell us what happened to your family. Well, to make a long story short, my entire family was killed. My mother uh, was Jewish. My father actually was from a Catholic family in Austria. And uh, when they got married, uh, my father was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. But uh, uh, my mother was Jewish, and of course, uh, her parents and her, uh, my uncles and my aunts and my nephews and my cousins, everybody else uh, was killed by the Nazis at one time or another. So how... And particularly... How did you... Yeah, I would... Go ahead. Now, how did you... Um, how did you get through that time? Well, for one thing, my parents decided when we moved to Berlin that my brother and I be baptized Catholic so that we, on our papers, instead of showing Jewish we could show that we were Catholic. So that was a big help at the time, even though they didn't like Catholics either, but <laughs> at the time at the time it worked, you know? And uh, uh, that's how my brother and I really got through this. Well, what ultimately, how did you end up coming to America? Uh, <laughs> 
come to America. Well, um, my grandfather had sent my brother and I from Berlin to northern Germany to a little place called Dangast. And uh, there was a wonderful lady there. Uh, she became actually like my second mother. Her name was uh, Irma, so we called her Aunt Irma. Her last name was Franz and Heinrich Dorf. And uh, uh, we lived, we were supposed to go there just for a few months to be out of Berlin. But it turned out that uh, we stayed there until I was 17. And the war was over. And when I was 17 and uh, my brother was just a half a year, year older than I am, uh, we got the, uh, a chance from the American Army uh, to come to the United States, which, of course, was our dream at the time. Because and the years the years right after the war was, was over were very difficult years also. So you're, during this time that you were in northern Germany, your family was being taken into the concentration camps and killed. Is that right? That is correct, yes. You know, my father served uh, in Europe and was actually a POW in Germany at the end of the war. He um, was captured after uh, the battle to liberate Montreville, France, in uh, August of 1944. And we're actually going over there next summer for the 80th anniversary of that liberation. Uh, and my, oh, wow. my father's mother was from Scheidenberg, Germany, and... Had, uh-huh. had immigrated in 1903, so she had not been back to Germany um, leading up to World War II. And you might not think this is funny, but we always thought this was a funny story that when, my, when we found out, when she found out my father was captured, she said, oh, good, he's with the Germans now. <laughs> <laughs> because to yeah. her, she remembered Germany the way it was when she was there, right? So That was a totally different country then. Totally different country, but so my yes. um, my father um, came back in 1945, and of course went on. He and my mom went on to have all of us, and and had a life after that. But I do have some of his stories. I wish that I had asked him to do what your children asked you to do, uh, because he's he's passed away now. But um, but it's it's such an important story because. We have what's going on in Israel today with the war with Hamas and this rise in anti-Semitism. You know, what do you think about that, seeing this today here in the United States of America? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very surprised that uh, I was used to this from Europe, from the olden days. But uh, to see this now here in America, it's kind of um, worrisome. Um, when it comes to comes to anti-Semitism, ever since I was a boy, I would ask, what is anti-Semitism? What is it? I, I know what it stands for. I know what it means. But why anti-Semitism? What, what is so wrong with the Jewish race? That people have to be killed. That there has to be such a thing as anti-Semitism. And especially now in our country here, uh, it's uh, a little bit disappointing to me because, you know, I came to this country 
of course, many years ago. I came over when I was 17, so that was back in 1950. But still, that is very disappointing to me. And one of the reasons I decided when I wrote this book and I publicized the book a little bit is so that younger people and other people, whoever, may read my book and find out what happens when there is such a thing as we, you know, experienced during the Third Reich with Adolf Hitler. So hopefully... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I think that if you don't, if you don't know the history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? Exactly. 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 So what would you like people to remember you for, Jack? Remember me for? I don't know. If, I mean, I, I've got a lot of friends and a lot of people, and I lived in this country, you know, since 1950, which is the greatest country, I think, in the world. You have no idea how I felt, how happy I was when I came to the United States back in 1950 after having lived in Germany during all those terrible years. Um, So, you know, I just hope that people wake up and maybe try to understand what happened during Hitler's period of time and how human beings can be so terrible uh, to others, which, you know, most people can't believe it. You know, we had 67,000 Jews, a million Jews being uh, slaughtered, being killed during that time, you know. And I just hope that my little book will somehow maybe wake up a few minds of a few people, and especially younger people, so that they realize what anti-Semitism can mean and what it means to be hateful, because that's really what it seems to be. Well, the book is My Two Lives by Jack Werfel, and it is... You know, it's an important story to tell, um, and I think that we we need to understand and remember what happened and not just use phrases like never forget. We need to really understand what happened. Uh, Jack, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season, and um, the book is My Two Lives, and we thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate being with you. Thank you. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. We're here with Roger Gewalb, who is in Florida right now. That's why I played a little Ron DeSantis coming in. How are you, Roger? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Listen, so how how's everything going for you? You've got to be happy to be in the good weather, huh? Uh, it's freezing cold here. Is it? Not much better, not much better where you are. Cloudy, cold, yeah, rainy. Really? Well, you know Miami yeah. is considered to be the safest city in America right now. Do you feel that way? The uh, safest? Yes. Um, yeah, I feel pretty safe. <laughs> why, why is Miami the safest all of a sudden? I, well, it's statistically, I guess that mayor has done a really good job there. He's pretty been pretty tough on 
uh, crime, and they didn't have the kind of problems in 2020 that the rest of the big cities did. I think the weather was just too good. I think that's what it was. Anyway. The weather helped. That's right. The weather helps, yeah. The weather does help. So listen, there's a lot going on with uh, Donald Trump. There's new polling that came out today that shows him widening his lead uh, even more. Uh, there's it's he's still bouncing back and forth up against Biden in kind of the margin of error. And then if you add these other candidates in, if you're polling for the general, uh, it's it still bounces around a bit. It's still just about in the margin of error. Uh, but he's gaining on his Republican opponents in the primary. And, you know, as a gal that likes to see people debate, I hate it that he's doing so well, even though he's not debating. Well, you know, I think his attitude, at least it looks to me like, why should I get in the sandbox with all these squabbling children? Because I'm a grown-up, and I can understand that. And um, I think he's also made the comment that uh, what is going on in these debates is a contest to be his vice president. So it it would be unseemly for him to show up in the middle of those discussions, you know. Uh, He's just so far in front of these other people uh, that uh, I think it's a very clever strategic move for him as a former president, which none of them has been, to take the position that he's the elder statesman and uh, let them engage in their lowly squabbles amongst themselves till a victor emerges. And it will be very interesting because I, you know, I don't see a Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis serving as vice president for uh, for Donald Trump. I mean, I just think they have other agendas. And with the exception of Joe Biden, um, you know, Joe Biden has, I guess, done all right as a former vice president. I don't mean his I don't mean the fact that he has done a good job i mean that he was a vice president and became president uh george herbert walker bush was able to do that too but uh, herbert walker bush didn't get a second term and i don't you know i really don't believe that when i talk to democrats roger they don't that voted for biden they're unsure whether they're going to vote for him again and i just don't know exactly what's going to happen but i think it's going to be interesting to watch yeah well I mean, it'll certainly be interesting to watch. Uh, I mean, everybody is um, first and foremost watching Biden's uh, health and uh, ability and all that. And, you know, there's still talk about whether they'll replace him or not, um, at least over in Europe. And also in Europe, there's actually a lot of talk now. I mean, it's funny being over here in Florida for a few days. um, I, I don't hear anybody talking about Gaza I don't hear anybody talking about Ukraine. Um, they're all talking American politics. Uh, whereas back in Europe, uh, Gaza and Ukraine and, and Putin being behind all of it is is the only thing anybody's talking about. It's all pretty scary stuff, probably because we're you know closer to it all. And and you know there have been rumblings that Biden could press a button and blow up London, and that might be part of his uh, ultimate plan. Um, you didn't mean so, Biden. You didn't say Biden. Press a button. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I didn't mean Biden. Putin. Putin, Putin sorry. Putin, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, Freudian, Freudian slip. Yes. Because I was going to go on. I was going to go on to say that the other thing they talk about, uh, particularly in Britain, is that we 
wouldn't have this Gaza situation. Uh, a lot of journalists are saying we wouldn't have this Gaza situation if Biden hadn't blocked the Abraham Accords and Saudi had signed up. Uh, but uh, Biden didn't want Trump to get the credit for having put all that together. Oh, you know, it's so uh, and, many. And they're so, sort of blaming him. For, they're blaming him for that. So many uh, of the problems that we have today are just because President Biden wasn't going to let Donald Trump have a win. You know, he, yeah. whether it was energy policy, border security, uh, the Abraham Accords. Now, there was a meeting in Atlanta a few weeks ago of some Arab and Israeli representatives uh, that are still working behind the scenes on trying to keep the Abraham Accords alive because they believe that if there's a change in the U.S. government, that they can get back on track again with that because the next step of the Abraham Accords was an economic plan that might, you know, bring the Middle East back. I mean, shoot, we've spent enough money money in Gaza over the last 15 years that they ought to be Singapore. But they they spent the money on tunnels and munitions instead of on the people. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly, uh, that's exactly the case. And um, you've got to ask, why have all the Arab countries uh, not supported the Palestinians really over the last 75 years? Because they like to leave them as the you know, the chicken in the cage for political reasons. But you would have thought, I mean, how can you be a refugee for 75 years? You know, and why haven't the Arab countries gotten together and stopped Hamas? Uh, because they caused everything, you know, that you, you've just said. Now, the news uh, a few minutes ago you just played was that Hamas has, you know, uh, 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 refused uh, ceasefire talks and started firing rockets on Tel Aviv this morning. So, you know, you've got, you've got millions of people in the streets around the world demanding ceasefires, and this is who you're supposed to have a ceasefire with. They don't well, want one. Anthony so, Blinken yesterday at the U.N. said, look, why are we only talking about the Israelis having a ceasefire? Why isn't anyone asking Hamas to have a ceasefire and to stop using civilians the way they're using them? I mean, it's... And, and why aren't people marching in the streets about the hostages? Yes. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it's, it's a terrible so it's situation. A very, these folks it's are not, terrible, it's, these are not prisoners of war. These are hostages. These are not people that had anything yeah. to do with this war other than just living where they were living at the time of the attack. A a absolutely. So, I mean, the whole thing is crazy. And there's, you know, um, <laughs> the thing about all these zillions of people out in the streets, uh, a number of commentators have said they are turkeys marching for Christmas, you know, to celebrate Christmas because, or Thanksgiving. Because they don't understand that they're next. The, the 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 Jews, the Israelis, are just the canary in the mine. Because all these groups, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, ISIS, you know, they've all threatened to kill everybody that isn't, uh, you know, a, a devout follower of their kind of Islam. And it's only two or three years ago that the head of, I think it was Al-Qaeda, said every Muslim in the world should put a bullet in the head of a Christian for Christmas. So, you know, hey, folks out there on the street, you're all next. And and they just they just don't get it. It's, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, what they're saying is that all of this started because if Saudi had joined the Abraham Accords, the, the stick would have been taken away from these terrorist groups to hit us with. 
But instead, uh, they've now got it, and they're, you know, beating everybody over the head with it. Well, I mean, in three weeks before the attack on October 7th, you had the crown prince of Saudi Arabia saying that, um, you know, saying that he... He was very close to an agreement with Israel. Now, obviously, this yep. this thing was in the works, the planning for more than three weeks. I mean, that that it, I'm sure they were planning it long before that. But that was definitely an impetus to them going ahead and attacking. Definitely. Well, you know, some really good uh, geopolitists like uh, uh, Chris Ruddy, uh, who, who owns Newsmax, have written extensively that, you know, Putin is behind all this stuff, and he wants not only to restore Mother Russia to her glory, but uh, you know also to uh, to suppress the wanton satanic he calls it ways of the West. So he's got Iran as his proxy, and you know they've got their proxy, Hamas, and the rest. And uh, all, all of this is is you know uh, pretty clear stuff. If believe, you look at the geopolitics, believe what they say, Roger. Believe what they say they're going to do, you know. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Oh, I mean, you know that in London we read reports all the time of another October the seventh in Israel any moment, or somewhere else. You know, I or mean, somewhere else. We yeah. have a basically open border where we know of 180 people on the terrorist watch list that have been turned away, but we don't know whether they came back in or not. We don't know any of that. So anyway. Um, I, I, I'm not going to be down right before Christmas. I'm going to be hopeful because that's what you have to do. And I think part of why you're not hearing all the negative things in Florida is that, in general, one of our greatest strengths, as well as our weakness, is that we're very forward-thinking as a country. We don't like to look back. We like to look forward. That's good and bad, right? I mean, you got to learn the lessons of the past in order to not repeat them in the future. But it's the reason why we just pick up ourselves and move forward. I think so. I mean, I think that is, you know, living between the two countries. That certainly is an American trait. And in Europe, you know, I mean, it, we, they've got a longer history and they pay more attention to it, perhaps. And you've just quoted Winston Churchill. You know, you, you're going to make the same mistakes in the future if you don't understand your past. Um, and, and so the focus is different. And there's also the geography that, as I say, we're closer to the the danger, if you will. But it it just is a shame that, you know, President Biden couldn't give the Donald a bit of credit and let the wonderful Abraham Accords happen because then Hamas and, and, you know, these other powers wouldn't have a, a, a stick to hit us with and perhaps wouldn't have refused the carrot that they were offered recently and, and, and be bombing Israel again. Roger Gewald, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you have a very happy holiday, and we look forward to talking to you in the new year. And you too, Martha. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. We are talking to Ron Clark right now from the Ron Clark Academy. You guys may remember him uh, from uh, the Oprah Winfrey Show as well as all the work that he's done in the Atlanta community over the last number of years. But he is the founder of the Ron Clark Academy, and I had the opportunity with the State Board of Education to go visit there about a month or so ago, and we had a great time. Ron Clark, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning. It's good to hear your voice. 
Are you like ready for Christmas? Are you done with school and you're ready for Christmas? You know, we got lucky. We got out of school last Friday, so I've had all this week to do the Christmas shopping to get everything wrapped up. So I pretty much buttoned up everything. Good, Thank good. Goodness. So tell people a little bit about your background and then what led to you opening the Ron Clark Academy. Well, sure. I'm from the country. I grew up in North Carolina down dirt roads, and uh, I never expected to be a teacher. I never even thought I'd go to college. I was the first one in my family on either side to do so, and I got a degree to be a teacher. And I didn't even think I would teach, but I thought, hey, this is something maybe. Um, I eventually fell into a classroom because a local teacher passed away, and I started teaching there. And um, basically to describe my philosophy, I thought, if I can get these kids engaged and excited about learning, if I can use movement and hands-on activities, if, I, if the kids want to be there, I can make it as hard as I possibly want it because as long as they're engaged, they're going to want to get to that high level. At the end of the year, I had the highest test scores in the school, and the principal was like, well, how did you do this? And I said, well, I just made it hard, but I tried to make it fun and engaging. And so the methods that I was using spread around the school. Eventually, our school went from the sixth, um, highest score in school in the county to the top score in school in the county. And so I thought, wow, wouldn't this be amazing if we had a school where every teacher used these methods and then we can invite educators to come see it in person, to learn how to do it and take it back to their school systems. I saw a TV show when I was in North Carolina about schools in Harlem that have violence and overcrowded classrooms. And I said, well, these methods work in the country. Let me go see if this will work in the city. So I went to Harlem and started teaching there, and they made a movie about it called The Ron Clark Story, star Matthew Perry, because it was really challenging, but the methods worked there as well. I was eventually named the Teacher of the Year, got to be on the Oprah Winfrey Show, and Oprah told me to write a book. So I wrote a book called The Essential 55, which is about 55 expectations I have for my students, and I think that all parents should have of all kids. And when the book came out, Oprah made it one of her book picks on her show, and all the money from the book went to buy an old factory in downtown Atlanta that now we have turned into most, the most amazing school in the world. And every year, tens of thousands of educators visit our school to learn how to do the methods that I started teaching back in North Carolina in 1994. You know, Ron, I saw, got to sit in on one of your classes, and you're a math teacher primarily, right? Yes, ma'am. I teach so, math and history. Yes. Yeah, so my, you know, my passion is... While I'm a liberal arts girl and I'm well educated, I of course, my my siblings and I were the first in our family ever to go to college too, and and I we love education. My dad was one of those people that said the one thing no one can ever take away from you is your education, and so you have to That's get right. an education. Even though he only went to school uh, a little bit, uh, he did take a couple of college classes when he came back from World War II, but he didn't graduate from high school. And my mother only graduated from high school, but they valued education. And my big thing is that we will let kids say, we would never let a kid say they weren't a reading kid, but we will let them say they're not a math kid. And what you showed me in that classroom in just an hour's time was how you can engage young people into math because it's like another language and people need it. You need to have those math skills. Right, and a lot of kids come in and they'll say, I'm not good in math, I don't like math. And so part of the job of a good teacher is to find a way to get them to see, no, you, you are great at math. Everyone can be great at math. You know, just using the right techniques, the right methods, making it fun, making it hands-on, getting kids excited about it. And once you get rid of that thought that, oh, I, I don't like math, I'm not good at it, then you can do anything. Then you can have success. 
So also, you your method teaches to excellence as opposed to teaching to the people that need extra help. Tell people a little bit about that. Sure. So I traveled to all 50 states. We visited 300 school systems to observe educators because I wanted to know what is really going on in this American education system. Currently, we're ranked, the United States is ranked 41st in the world in math and science test scores. And I was like, this is a crisis. What are we doing? So I went to look in these classrooms and I realized we don't teach to gifted kids in America. We don't teach to average kids. Every class that I watched was kind of geared toward helping the kid who really didn't understand what was going on. And we have gifted kids all over our country just bored out of their minds, like, oh, my God. And so I thought we're doing a disservice to our gifted kids in this country, and that's why we're 41st in the world in math and science. And that really concerns me for the future of our nation. So at our school, we, we have a different philosophy. We have all different learning levels in our classes, but I find the smartest kid in that class, in my class of 30, and I, I teach every lesson so that that child will be challenged. And what we found is that if you teach to the brightest kid in the class, but you're able to keep keep every kid engaged, every kid wants to be there, every kid focused and trying to figure out what's going on, as long as they're all engaged, test scores for every kid will increase. But if you focus on the kids who are not achieving, their test scores don't grow, and the test scores for all the other kids decrease as well. So our method is really different, but it's now it's spread all over the nation with a lot of success in all different types of schools. And the concept is just teach to the brightest kid, challenge that child, and as long as you keep everyone in the class engaged, everyone else is going to benefit as well. Now, Ron Clark Academy is a private school, but it's not your typical private school. It's not a private school with big tuition. It's not a private school uh, out there. But you also told us when you took us through that you really created the Ron Hart Academy with the with the idea of how can we make public schools better. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, I'm a public school teacher. I went to public school, and all of my teachers are public school teachers at our school. But we are a private school, but it's different. Our kids, most of them pay $45 a month to attend our school, and we provide all the technology, all the uniforms, everything's provided for our students. But um, the reason why we had to be a private school is because we actually are a teacher training facility. We're a school, and we have 30 kids in all of our classrooms, but we have tens of thousands of educators come from all over the world to be in our school and to learn about our methods and get trained. So in order to have that work, we had to be a private school so that we could run the business in the building. That's the only purpose for it. And tell us a little bit about these kids that you have had now for a number of years going through. Uh, you know, tell us some of their stories. Yeah, it's awesome. So we take all different types of kids, from kids who have learning issues to kids who are gifted. We have average kids. We have all different types of students come to our school. But we're proud that over the last 17 years, we have 100% graduation rate from high school. 91% of our students are in college. And when they go to college, they're, they're killing it. I mean, they're at Yale, Princeton, Harvard, Stanford. They go to Morehouse, Spelman. They're at Georgia Tech, um, Duke, I mean, UGA. And they just thrive at these schools. They're the student government president. They're the valedictorian. Um, they just really are just, they're being so successful. And it just goes to show that our system works. We have one student, Zion, who he actually, when he came to our school, you know, he worked really hard. 
He ended up working his way up, went to a, a, a boarding school on full scholarship. Then he got a full scholarship to Princeton. Now he's getting his um, master's degree at Harvard, and I'm actually interviewing him today at lunch because he has his education degree now. He said, Mr. Clark, I want to teach. I want to come back to RCA and give back. I want to teach at RCA. So I'm interviewing him today at lunch, which is really awesome. So the kids, they just, they're, they're changing the world, and we're really proud of them. So you're, and I thought your staff was just amazing from the first person we met coming through the door all the way through to your teachers and the people that work in communications and, and the classrooms and, and the amazing things that you're doing, just the quality of people. And look, it's, it's hard to be a public school teacher today. Uh, there's a lot expected of teachers today we've we've come out of this pandemic and and we're still trying to figure out what the cost of that was uh to our students but what i love about your approach is it's so positive and forward thinking and these children you know and they are they're children they were so well behaved and they knew how to talk to grown-ups and they knew how to talk to each other i mean this is a full experience this is yes education names numbers historical facts they know all of that but you are making well-rounded people and we need more of that yeah i agree with you Uh, i think it's so important and it starts with your staff first of all no matter what business you run or whether it's a school or a construction company who you hire, that's, that's the key to, to success, hiring great people. And whenever I hire someone, I tell them their number one job description of everything they do at our school, more so than test scores, more so than relationships with students or parents, your number one job description is to be a good team member. I want you to high-five each other, cheer on each other's successes, leave each other's names at your mouth. Don't talk about anybody that you work with, and just really be a good team supportive member of everyone that works here and so our staff they really have bought into that and so when you come into the building you can feel the energy the spirit you see people high-fiving and that bleeds down to the kids and so the the feeling you feel in our school it just comes from the adults and that's the same for any business whether it's a a school or any type of a corporation but you said that um, it's important that kids you know know how to interact with others and I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. At our school, I tell my staff, you know, we can educate these kids and we can handle that well. But if they go out into the world and they don't know how to play the game, if they don't know how to have soft skills, if they don't have, have interview etiquette, they're going to miss opportunities. So we spend a lot of time at our school teaching kids just how to express themselves, how to speak with confidence, how not to be shy, how to articulate an idea so that others will understand their point of view. Um, we think that's very important for the success of kids. Absolutely. So you have some fun things going on, too. You've got the kids are separated into what are called houses when they come in. <laughs> and I separated is probably not the right way to say it. It's a it's a support group. Tell us about that. Yeah, think about it like it's like a fraternity or a sorority, but it's in a, in a middle school, so it's a little different. You wouldn't think of that normally there, but maybe it's something like in Harry Potter. You know, they have the four houses. So we have four houses as well, Rever, Amistad, Isabendi, Altruismo, and they mean, they mean qualities. Those words mean qualities we want our students to have, to be a dreamer, to have courage, to be a giver, to be a good friend. And so when you come into our school, you spend this huge will, you get sorted into one of those houses, and it is kind of like a support group of the staff members, our board members, the kids, parents, everyone's in a house. We cheer for each other. We have competitions, but it's friendly throughout the school, and it's really beautiful. When I was in Harlem, I saw so many kids being bullied and kids who didn't have friends, and they just were loners. 
So I said, maybe I'll use this house system to get kids to feel like they're part of something and to cheer for each other. And my favorite moment was when I saw a kid who had been bullying this little boy when he was cheering for him because he got points for their house. He put his arm around him. He was like, let's go, let's go. And I was like, wow, this house system could really change lives in schools and really improve the climate and culture. So now that idea that we started in 2007 with our house system, it's in all 50 states. It's all over the world where people are using our four houses we created to build that climate and culture in their schools. So Ron Clark Academy um, is a place you need to look up if you're listening today. And if you have children or grandchildren, you need to be calling your teachers and your administrators at the school system you go to and encourage them. If they've already sent people to the Ron Clark Academy, tell them thank you. But if they haven't yet, tell them that if they can send six teachers and one administrator. Did I get that right, Ron? If it's yes, six teachers and one administrator, you can change the culture in your school by training your teachers in the Ron Clark Academy method. Ron, I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You changed my life this year, and I appreciate you. I hope you do, too. I love you. Thank you, and happy holidays, everyone. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.